we are in the book of Exodus. So if you have a Bible this morning, um, this morning, this evening, um, you can turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3. Last week, we started a series entitled The Great I Am, The Great I Am, and we are looking at Moses's experience with God at the burning bush. Um, that is what we are looking at um, uh, over the next couple of weeks, and our desire is to know God more. That's our desire, and um, we know this in our relationships. The more you get to know someone, the more you have shared experiences with someone, typically the better your relationship is, and so we want to um, know God more, have some shared experiences with God, and, uh, and we want to see what God's Word has to say about God. And so before we get into that, I want to show you um, this slide here, distinctiveness, all right? So I'm not like the biggest candy eater of all time. I've got to be in the mood for sweets. And even then, like I'm limited to what I like really enjoy when it comes to sweets. Um, uh, but I've had both of these. I've had M&Ms before, and I've had Skittles before. I prefer Skittles over M&Ms, but in the mood, I like M&Ms very much. Here's the deal. If you took M&Ms and put them in a bowl with Skittles and mixed them all around, um, you would know instantly when you bit into whatever that candy was, what it was. Like, there's a distinct difference between an M&M and a Skittle, Right? An M&M is chocolatey, a Skittle is fruity and sweet, maybe a little sour, right? And, and, and those two things, maybe they go together for you, but I, don't, I would not enjoy having both of those things, both of those flavors happening to my taste buds uh, at the same time. Uh, they're distinct, they're different from one another, and you know it. As soon as you taste it, you can taste the difference immediately. Uh, there's a distinctiveness, and when we when we talk about this, we, we, we want to also think about what that means for God. There is a distinctiveness to God. There is, um, there is something different between humanity and God. Um, there is, uh, there is a, uh, this, this principle of otherness. Uh, we are not the same. Humanity and God are not the same. And so um, tonight we are going to talk about that a little bit. But before we get to our main topic tonight, I wanted to recap just a little bit on what we talked about last week, just in case you weren't here or in case you didn't watch. I wanted to get you up to speed. Um, we know the story, at least a little bit we know the story. We know that Joseph, right, um, got sold into slavery by his brothers, he shows up in Egypt, it takes him a while, but eventually he gets an audience with the Pharaoh because the Pharaoh's had a dream. And the dream says, famine is coming. And so Joseph says, we need to prepare. And so Joseph gets promoted to second in command, and he begins to prepare for this famine that God is bringing on the land. Well, all his family had no idea this famine was coming. Um, no idea. So when famine hit, 
they had to move. They had to, they had to go in search for food because you need food to live, right? So they had to go in search of food. And where do they go? They go to Egypt. They find Joseph. We get the tricks played with the cup and the Benjamin and all this stuff. And we get that great line uh, where Joseph tells his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And um, all of the, uh, the small, the very small nation of Israel, this 12 brothers and their families, they moved to the outskirts of Egypt. Well, those families multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply. And pharaohs come and pharaohs go. And Joseph dies. And a new pharaoh comes into town. And he says, I am going to use this people to do things for me. And he enslaves the Israelite people. And so we know that part of that enslavement meant that the pharaoh was going to kill all the kids. And so in a in an attempt to save the life of Moses, Moses' mother throws him in the Nile in a basket. He floats up the Nile River um, into the palace of the Pharaoh, is raised there, finds out he's an Israelite. He um, kills an Egyptian because they are, are harming the Israelites, and he flees. He, he gets out of town, he gets out of Dodge, backs out of a mountain, gets married, settles down, and he thinks his journey's done. His journey's over. He's just going to ride off into the sunset but God has different plans. And we read this passage last week, so I don't want to reread it in whole, but I do want to give you the bullet points. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, we get this story how Moses, minding his own business, tending the flock, he runs into this bush that's on fire, and it doesn't stop. It doesn't consume the bush. And then the bush speaks to him. And then he has this encounter with God, and God tells him that I've seen what's happening to my people, and I'm going to commission you to go, and when you go, this is who I am. And so last week, we focused on verses 13, 14, 15, where God, for the first time, for the first time ever, God shared his name with a human being, and that name was, I am who I am, Yahweh, Lord, um, uh, and, and, and we talked about what, what it meant to know the name of God. And we talked about how God has made himself known. He is eternal. He is unchanging. And that this, this great I am makes himself known to us. And the challenge last week was to look for God. As you go and do life, God wants to make himself known to you. God wants to make himself visible to you. So look for him. And so we, we looked at those characteristics of God's eternal and unchanging nature. And so tonight we look at a different characteristic, something that he, he, he revealed to Moses even before he called Moses and even before he shared his name with Moses. There was another thing that happened before all that. So let's look. Let's look specifically tonight at Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then God said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. All right, before we get into it, let's 
break apart the story here. Why did God use the burning bush? God could have just spoke, right? Wherever Moses was, what do you think would be a reason that God would use a burning bush? Boom, to get your attention, right? There's this bush, it's on fire, it's not consumed. That's intriguing. And did it get Moses' attention? It sure enough did, right? It got his attention. Um, but there was, there was something greater, that, not just to get his attention, but God wanted to give Moses a glimpse of his power. And so he did a miraculous thing. We call this a, a theophany, a theophany. Uh, Theo meaning God, Phine meaning to show. God was showing himself to Moses in a powerful way. Now, again, you and I, we're, we're, we're English readers. We uh, live in this, uh, our current culture and our current context. And so sometimes, actually a lot of times when you read Old Testament stuff, stuff just kind of goes way over your head because that's not your culture. You don't, you don't know what the culture was like back then. And so we get one of those points here. In verse 4, God calls out to him, and he uses his name twice, Moses, Moses. And there's a reason for that. God sent Moses' name twice because in ancient Jewish culture, addressing someone by saying their name twice was a way of express, expressing friendship and affection. So God calls out to Moses, uses his name twice, uh, to show Moses or so that Moses would know I'm not an enemy. I'm calling out to you, uh, expressing this friendship and affection. And he, and he did this, God does this, because he didn't want Moses to be scared. And so Moses, when he hears his name twice, he immediately understands that he's being addressed by someone who loves him and is concerned about him. But even as God expresses this, uh, this personable uh, gentle uh, calling to Moses. In verse 5, we get the flip side, right? Don't come near. Stop. All right, I'm not your enemy. I'm your friend, but stop. Don't come any closer, right? Before God even told Moses who he was, he began to teach Moses about the nature of his presence. God was telling Moses that he was holy, there was, there was a warmth and friendliness in the revelation of God through the bush, but there was also immediate separation between God and Moses. Stop. Do not come any closer. I am not like you, and I should be respected. And there's this tension. There's this tension that we have with God where God loves you, he cares for you, he personally knows you and wants you to know him, but... God is holy, and he is separate, and he deserves our respect. And then God does something else. He tells Moses to take his sandals off his feet. And we, some of us might do this. Some of you might, in your home, ask your guests to take their shoes off before they come in so they don't, you know, make your carpet all yucky or your tile all yucky, right? Uh, but back then, this was used all the time. If you went into anybody who was superior than you, anyone who had a higher standing than you, you didn't ask if you wanted, they wanted you to take off your sandals. You took them off knowing that they would want you to. And so we have this parallel, parallel here. So before he has revealed himself. God is communicating with Moses in a way that Moses understands. He's beginning to shed light on the relationship that he would have with his people. 
And then God reveals a little bit of his identity before he reveals his name. In verse 6, he says, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. So God is, is, is letting Moses know, this is who I am. I'm going to tell you more about myself, but this is who I am. Today we want to focus on this characteristic that God reveals to Moses. This is... Uh, um, this was a very important occasion. It's very relevant. It's very significant. Um, before God calls, before God told him his name, God needed Moses to know that he was holy. He said, the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. Not because the ground was holy, but because the God who was there was holy. And so what does it mean? What does it mean that God is holy? What does it mean for our faith? So let's look. Number one. <clears throat> God is holy. There is none like him. How do we define holiness? A lot of times I think we define holiness with God's perfectness. And that's not unfair. Um, It's just not the primary definition for holiness. It's like a secondary one. In fact, we're going to talk about it tonight. But the primary definition for holiness is, is separate, to be set apart, to be other. Uh, an author defined it as incomprehensible otherness, which I thought was neat because God is different from us. He is something other than us, and it is incomprehensible to us. We can't wrap our minds around it. All right, I got a game for us. I want you to take out your cell phone, all right? I want you to take out your cell phone. I want you to open up your notes app. Uh, if you've got some sort of notes app. Hopefully, maybe all of you have iPhones, and if you do, there's a notes app on there. And what we're going to do is we are going to um, play a game. I'm going to have you list your top five fast food restaurants, all right? Now, if, if you hate fast food and you don't ever go to fast food, that's fine. You can still play. Put the, what you think other people would say the top five are. All right, so maybe it's not you, but maybe it's other people. So I'm going to give you a minute to do that. Just one, two, three, four, five. Put them in order of what your favorite is or what you think people's favorite is. And then uh, five will be the least favorite. So we're going to take a minute here, and you are going to make your top five list of fast food joints. If you can think of five. Um, I live on fast food. I shouldn't. Uh, that probably needs to change. But, you know, when you're busy... Um, it's, it's a very convenient option. And there's some places that are actually really good and really tasty food at some of these fast food joints. So you are making your list of your top five fast food places. I have made mine. I went, I, I, I worked like super hard on this. I went back and forth. I had a ranking system. I, had, I didn't do all that. I'm just kidding. But, um, but some of these were really close, and I flip-flopped on a couple of like, positions, and I was like, man, should I add that one or should I not add that one? So, uh, so I, I, what I'm going to do is hopefully you have your top five, either what they are to you personally or what you think would be a top five list. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share mine with you, one by one, we're going to go from five to one, and then I'm going to see if you have the same ones that I do, okay? So the, the number five on my list, and uh, this shocked me, so maybe it'll shock you, is KFC, 
All right, KFC made number five on my list. Did it make anybody's list? KFC make anybody's list? I didn't think so. Here, here's, here's, my, here's the deal. I went back and forth with like some sort of pizza place, like a Papa John's or Pizza Hut or KFC, but KFC has something called their Famous Bowl. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the Famous Bowl. I don't know if you've ever been to KFC, but the Famous Bowl is mashed potatoes, chicken nugget type things, corn, cheese, and gravy all together. And it is amazing. Also, the other thing I like about KFC is their biscuits. Uh, for fast food biscuits, they're actually pretty good. They're actually pretty good. So uh, it's one of my, I don't go a lot, but when I get the craving for the famous bowl, I go to KFC. So it's my number five. All right. My number four is Wendy's. And I went back and forth. Is Wendy's on anybody's list? Oh, we got a Wendy's. We got a Wendy's. Where did it, where did it place on yours? Two. All right. Okay. Number two. Number two. Okay. So Wendy's made my list, and I went back and forth between this and the next one. Wendy's made my list pretty much primarily because of their Frosty. Um, And I don't do the original Frosty. I switch to the vanilla Frosty. And so that's my jam. So um, the other reason this made my list is because there's a Wendy's right next to my work. And so I, I don't know if you're watching or if you know, I clean pools um, for eight hours a day out in the heat. And so I get done and it's hot outside and I'm like, I need to cool down. So I'm going to go get a Frosty. And so I go through and I spend the dollar or six cents or whatever, get a small Frosty, help my temperature come down and enjoy that. But they got the Junior Bacon Cheeseburger, which I really enjoy. I got the, uh, the Baconator, which is really good. So Wendy's makes my number four. We got it on someone else's list. And that's good. Let's see. Number three is McDonald's. Did McDonald's make anybody's list? No, nope. I know, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It makes makes my number. I know. Oh, I know. Uh, so it makes my number three, and um, I like the Big Mac meal. So uh, if I go other than the morning, I get a Big Mac meal. But I like their double cheeseburger, their McChicken, which probably isn't real chicken, but um, uh, it tastes good. And then, but primarily McDonald's is on here because of breakfast. Um, I, I need to eat in the morning, and a lot of times I don't, I don't wake up early enough to make myself something, and I'm up earlier than my wife, and so sometimes it's just easier to go get, you know, bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit, or a sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit, or something like that, so McDonald's makes the list primarily because of the breakfast for me. All right, let's go to number two. This probably isn't on anybody's list, and, um, but here, here it goes. Taco Bell. Taco Bell is on my list. All right? It is on my list. I flirted with putting it at number one. I stopped myself from putting it at number one. Um, I know Taco Bell is probably the worst. It's probably the worst for you. But there's, uh, there's just so much good stuff. Next time you're at Taco Bell, I'm going to give you a secret that m- most people don't know about Taco Bell. Is they have a very tasty dessert. It's called a Cinnabon Delight. It is, uh, it is a cinnamon doughy ball with like... Uh, uh, um, some sort of gooey vanilla inside, and it is delightful. It, it, Cinnabon delight. It is so tasty. Uh, anyway, so my number one, maybe this made your list, maybe it didn't, is Chick-fil-A. Did Chick-fil-A make everyone's list? Chick-fil-A. Um, there's just nothing bad there, except for their parfait, just because I'm not a parfait person. Um, but they don't do anything bad. Like, everything there is good. I go there for breakfast probably once or twice a week. Uh, I'm trying to cut back on that, but uh, everything there is good. So, 
Um, did it, what else? What, what other fast food joints did I miss? Panera. Mm. Moe's. PDQ. Oh, man. There's just not a PDQ by me. That's why I forgot about it. PDQ strips are good. Firehouse is probably my favorite sub, other than maybe a pub, public sub. So, okay. All right. So, so, so why do we do this? Why, what's the deal? What's, what's up with the list? Um, uh, the, the list is, is this. So, sometimes, if, if we're not careful, we tend to think that God is on a list of like really good things. Like if you thought in your life, like what are the best things in my life? Uh, you might have God at like number one, right? Like God might be the best thing in your life. And maybe if you were honest with yourself, maybe you'd be like at the bottom. A lot of times we think like we're the, the Nokia flip phone and God is the iPhone 12 Max Pro. Like he's just the best, right? And, and, and a lot of times we think that. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. The holiness says that God isn't at the top of the list. He's in a category by himself. There's nothing else on that list. It's God and that's it. Uh, and I think a lot of times we try to fit him in to different things in our life, uh, to, to different, but he's not. His holiness separates him from everything. God is separate. Uh, he is other. He is holy. There is none like him. And we see this reflected all throughout the Bible. I'm going to throw on the screen here um, 1 Samuel 2, 2. Uh, and Samuel writes, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. There is none holy like God. No one. There is no one beside him. No one to compare God to. Um, God exists alone by himself. And then Moses writes in Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Um, This comes in the middle of a song that Moses sang, and Moses isn't asking a, a question that he doesn't know the answer to. He's making a statement. He's saying, there are none like God. All other gods, lowercase g, are false. You are alone. You are the one. When we think about God's holiness, the primary thing that we need to think about when it comes to the holiness of God is that God is separate. God is other. God stands alone. There's nothing else in that category other than God. But we also see that God is holy and there's no sin in him. We talked about before, a lot of times we think of holiness and perfection and holiness equals perfection, and this is a secondary. So, so holiness primarily is God is separate, he is other, he is unto himself, there's none like him, but then secondary, there is no sin in him. He's not just set apart, he's perfect in all of his ways. He's without deficiencies, without imperfections, without gaps, without holes, perfect, complete. When we talk about any attribute of God, whether it's his love, his wrath, his grace, all of these different things, he is perfect in all of them. And this is especially true when it comes to the moral goodness of God. And this is where we really get that separation, is that God is morally perfect in all that he does, and we are not. God is holy, there is no sin in him, and the same can't be said about us. Look at what it says in Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. 
Now, this isn't the difference um, between good and greatness, because we think that good is kind of like a less version, uh, a less better version of great. Um, that's not what, what the writer is saying. The writer is saying that God is morally good, perfectly morally good. He is not bad. There is not even the slightest aspect of God's character um, that is anything other than good. He is so good that when, when we have a relationship with him, just the nearness to God, just being near to God is a blessing to us. And then the psalmist writes in chapter 11, verse 7, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Righteousness is another word for good. It's a better word for good. God is perfectly righteous, and he loves righteous things. When we are made righteous by him through faith in Christ, we gain access to a relationship with him. We don't see his literal face, but we can know him. We can know him. You guys, um, you guys know the difference between um, opinion and fact, right? Opinion and fact, like we all have opinions. Like it's my opinion that the Orlando Magic are going to win the NBA Finals next year, right? It's my opinion that this, the, the, my, the best album that's ever been produced is, is Jar, Jars of Clay, their original album. And, and the best movie out there is uh, a movie called Inception. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies. The plot's great. The acting is great. The story uh, uh, leaves you having to figure out what happened at the end on your own. It, like, it ends open, and you've got to try to figure it out. I love that about movies, right? All these are just my opinion, right? You and I can argue about what the best movie ever made was. You and I can argue about the best album that's ever been put out or our favorite sports team. We can argue about all those things, right? But there's also fact in our world. We deal with things that there are factual. Like the, all these people that exist that say like there's no absolute truth. Well, there's gravity, okay? We don't even have to talk about religious things or spiritual things, but let's just talk about gravity. Like that's an absolute truth where you're held to the ground. <laughs> like we don't have to debate that. And even though people try to debate that's, and say that the earth is flat, we know that the earth is not flat. It is round. Um, and so there are things in our world that are actual fact, that are actual fact and not just opinion. And, and, that's, and that's what we, 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 when we come to here and we're studying about the holiness of God, how God is perfect in all of his ways, that is fact. That's not just me coming up here and sharing with you my opinion about God. That is absolute truth. It's absolute fact. And here's the problem. If God isn't perfect, then we don't have to be here because that ruins everything about who God is. If God has any part of evil or any part of sin in himself, then it ruins everything that God is. Listen, here's the deal. If God isn't holy, then, then God isn't God. God ceases to be God if he is not holy. And so when you think about like all the attributes of God, like what are the, what's the best attribute that God has? Like a lot of people talk about the love of God and how God just loves people so much and he died for people. And that's a very good attribute. But if, if, if it didn't come out of his holiness, like holiness is the main attribute of God. Our pastor talks about it like a wheel, right? You've got the center of the wheel and then you've got spokes coming out. And the center of that wheel is God's holiness, and all the spokes are all his other attributes that flow out of his holiness. If God isn't holy, then God isn't God. 
and he's not worthy of our worship, and he's not worthy of our praise, he's not worthy of meeting here together on a Wednesday night. And so this is not opinion, this is fact, this is truth, and it's one of the truths our faith is built upon. But I love this, because it, it just gets better. Um, God is holy, and there's none like him. God is holy, and he's perfect in all of his ways. But check this out. God is holy, and in Jesus, God sees us as holy. This is really neat. And I love, uh, uh, again, I, I talked about this last week, but I, I purchased this, uh, this, uh, this package that had these four little lessons in it, and their point number three is the past two weeks have been really, really good. That God sees us as holy. Now, before we get to the good news, here, here's the bad news. Here's the bad news. God is holy. He is other. He is set apart. There's none like him. He's perfect in his goodness. There's no sin in him. But God also calls us to holiness. I mean, there are several scriptures that we can go to. I'm thinking of uh, at least one in 1 Peter where Peter writes, uh, as God is holy, we are also to be holy, right? It's God's expectation of us that we would be morally perfect like he is. The creator of all things, the one who gave you life, the great I am, his ex- expectation is, is for you to be holy, period. That's his standard for us. Um, it's what it takes to have a relationship with God. Like, feel the weight of that. The, the weight that God calls you to be holy, and he is holy, and he is separate and other, and, and there's nothing like him, and God calls you to be like him. <clears throat> um, as a teenager, this was really hard to understand. <laughs> as, a, as a teenager, um, especially as a senior in high school, um, all my friends, they went to prom. And my parents draw, drew a line in the sand and said, you're not going. And I said, why? I, I, that don't make no sense. Why can I not go? And they told me, because there's a standard. We have a standard, and it's higher than the world. It's higher than your friends. And, and, and I remember telling my parents that it's too, it's too great of a standard. It's too high. I can't, I don't want to. If that's the standard, then I, I would much rather go out with my friends and, and, and like do what every other senior gets to do and go to prom. And, and I remember going back and forth with my dad as he tried to teach me that there is a standard and how I re- wanted to rebel against that. But that's the standard for all of us. The standard for all of us is to be holy like God is holy. And, and we see this. We see this littered throughout the Bible, like in Leviticus. We, we, we read this passage in Leviticus, chapter 11, verse 44 through 47. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, And be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming that crawls in the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law about beasts and birds and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. God is is revealing the law to the people. And what does he call them to do? He calls them to be set apart. I get it. All these cultures don't have any rules when it comes to food. God says, I get it, but I'm not calling you to be that. I'm calling you to be different. 
There needs to be something different, distinct about you because you are to be holy. And I know what you're saying. All right, Josh, that was the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law doesn't 100% apply to my situation today. Okay, that's fair. Let's go to the New Testament. Matthew 5:48. Jesus talking and he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. <clears throat> Whew. Man, uh, that's tough. And it's tough because we can't do that. <laughs> it's not possible. In fact, um, I told this story a couple weeks ago, but <clears throat> I had a friend who came to church with me a couple years ago. We were in the old building still, and uh, he listened to Ted preach, and we were driving to lunch or something or, or other, and I, I asked him, what do you think? What do you think about the message? Lost. And uh, he said, uh, it, it's just not possible. Like, Everything the pastor said, like, I wish that's how life was, but it's just not, it's not possible to be that obedient to God. It's not, it's not possible to live that way. <clears throat> and he, he exposed something that, that is true. We, we read the Bible, and the Bible tells us about the holiness of God, and it tells us that we are to uh, be holy as God is holy, and we look at ourselves and we say, oh, that, that doesn't... I, 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 can't, I can't do that. I don't, so what do we do? I, I mean, what, what, what do we do? I mean, Paul, even Paul wrote 13 letters, right, in our New Testament. And in Romans 7, he says, man, I, I, I do the things that I don't want to do, and the things that I know that I should do, I don't do those things. And this is the apostle Paul, right? <clears throat> and then he writes in chapter 3 that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God has an expectation of us, and we can't meet it. We're always going to fall short of a holy God's desire for us. And this is going to impact our relationship with God. It's going to separate us from God. It's a barrier. The Bible says that it earns us death. But, but here's the good news. The good news is that in Christ, you and I can be holy. Not in ourselves, because we're sinners, not in our works, not in the things that we do, but if we are obedient to Christ and we do the things that Christ has called us to do in him, we can be holy. And, and the way this works out, it's, it's, um, it's these big theological words that we talk about all the time here. We talk about justification. Once you admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, confess your sin, commit your life to Christ, you are justified before God, just as if you had never sinned. So when God looks upon you, he sees the blood of his son, and you stand before God righteous, and, uh, and, and, and your debt has been paid by Jesus. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, he sees holiness. <clears throat> now, if that was the only big theological word, then we could just live however we wanted to, right? Jesus saved me from my sin, he sees the blood of Jesus, now I just live however I want to. But that's not the only big theological word, right? We don't just have justification, we have sanctification. And it's the working out of our faith. James describes it as faith without works is dead. If you believe in Jesus, like truly believe, that's, that's, that, that's that second part of salvation. You admit you're a sinner, you believe in Jesus. If you really believe in Jesus, it's going to work its way out of you. The Spirit of God that indwells in you is going to show fruit, is going to work out. But 
It's a process. Nobody prays a prayer, receive Christ, and is then a super Christian the next day. It's just not, that's not how it works. It takes years and years and years of a pursuit of holiness, of a pursuit of God um, for you to begin, for God's spirit to begin to move and change and work in your life. But as a Christian, our direction, the, the, the way that we are going should be holiness. We should be pursuing holiness. And I talked about this on Sunday. The tent poles of, of true saving salvation is a love for God and others, worked out in obedience to God, full of faith. But all those things start at a level zero and eventually work their way out and work their way up. So that means two things. That means we need to be gracious to other believers who might be a little further back than us. And it means that we need to keep marching forward, keep going the way that God has called us to go. And then it all culminates. It all culminates in glorification where our sin-soaked bodies are no longer there. We stand before Jesus and we get to worship him freely, like without sin, without stain, without worry, without, we get to perfectly worship Jesus. Man, that's good news when it comes to the holiness of God. We're declared righteous, we pursue holiness, and one day, we will stand before God face to face and perfectly worship him because we will no longer have sin in us. That's really good news. So God is holy. There is no other. God is perfect, and he expects us to pursue perfection. He expects us to pursue holiness. And in Christ, God sees us as holy because He sees the blood of Christ that covers us and our sin. So what does that mean for us tonight? That means for us tonight, we've got three things that we need to focus in on. Either one, we got to think about, do I have the real thing? Have I been justified? Have I admitted, believed, confessed, and committed my life Has there been this beautiful exchange where God gives me his righteousness and I give him my unrighteousness? Has that happened? Do I know that I know that I know that I am saved? If you can say, yep, know that, check, got it. Well, then the next thing is, are you pursuing holiness? Is holiness your direction, right? Um, Or did we get off at a rest stop? Or did we get off on the wrong exit? Well, we need to get back on on the freeway of God's holiness. And maybe you're like, check, got that too. I'm pursuing God to the best of my ability and, and I'm learning and I'm growing. That's great, praise the Lord. The number three, got those two things done. Have hope and joy that one day all the craziness of this life will be gone and you will get to stand before Jesus face to face and worship him unencumbered. And let that fuel whatever circumstances are in your way right now. Knowing that it all pays off at the end. It all, it all culminates to being face-to-face, eye-to-eye with Jesus. So, as we pray tonight, as we close this out, remember God is of his own. He is perfect. And he calls us to pursue holiness. Where are you at? Have you been justified? 
Are you a little shaky with your sanctification? Do you just need to hold on to the hope that one day we get to worship Jesus face to face? Let's pray.